We're going to be this morning talking about blended families. Now, I would honestly say that I think this is the first time we have talked about blended families as a part of a sermon series. And I think that's something that's very important because there are many of us who are from blended families. Now, when I was growing up, a blended family was a family that, you know, drank too much whiskey, if you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, completely different meaning. But blended families can be families that are brought together because of divorce, uh, because someone died, uh, maybe because you weren't married and you finally did get married, but you already had children. There are different ways that you can be in a, uh, a blended family. Maybe you have come from a blended family, or maybe you have created a blended family. And in all of this, we started looking at the, the whole topic of blended families. And I thought, well, I need to figure out what is a blended family. And a blended family, it says, according to the dictionary, it says a family consisting of a couple and their children from this and all previous relationships. A blended family is, is obviously created up from uh, uh, several different families or maybe um, uh, 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 different, different ways. I've already discussed that, sorry. Uh, different ways of actually bringing a different family together that wasn't in the normal order that maybe God had actually set for us. But today what I want to do is I want to tackle this topic of blended family because I think it's easy to look at the good things of God, the plans of God, the, the perfect plan of God, and then see how we don't measure up to that perfect plan. Sometimes it's easy, and even when you're not talking about blended families, just with your walk with God, it's easy sometimes to look at the good things of God, the right things of God, and compare yourself and see that we don't measure up. Well, I think that we need to discover the redemption of God. And so what I want to do is I want to look at two different things specifically today, and I've asked Jared, uh, my good friend, to be a part of this as well, because I'm going to talk about dare I say, the, legitim the, le the legitimacy or the theology of blendedness. And I've asked Jared to look at the, the issues of blendedness too because he has a blended family himself. And so I'm going to start off with talking about three different questions that, that I asked when I first started talking about blended families. And three questions are this. The first question I have is this. Number one, does blending endorse divorce? Does blending endorse divorce? Now, if you were here uh, a couple months ago, we did a series, if you remember, about the Big Ten. It was about the Ten Commandments. And uh, it turns out that I had flipped a coin and I had, it landed on my week to actually do the teaching about adultery, which everybody just loves talking about adultery, right? That's, that's, the, that's the, the most thrilling topic you can think about for teaching on Sunday morning. And we took it from talking about uh, 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 Matthew 19, verses 3 to 10, when Jesus actually addresses divorce and adultery. Now, I'm not going to go into it too much. But one of the things that we discovered was Jesus was more focusing on the plan of God, the perfect plan of God, going back to the, the perfect plan of God that allowed there to be a restoration of women, allowed there to be a restoration of what we thought of what a proper marriage was, what we thought of what was the perfect plan of God. Not so much that he was looking to try and condemn people, but he was more about trying to get back to the perfect plan of God, which is the way that I think that Jesus usually operates. So the answer is, no, it's not so much an endorsement, but it's an acceptance or an acknowledgement that the fact is that relationships break down, that things happen, that marriages break apart. And so if you're not in the perfect plan of God and you're not in the perfect situation, does that mean that God has got nothing for you? Well, this is what I want to look at today. I want to look at the second question, which is this. Does blending endorse breaking up of families? And what I want to talk about is the difference between the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. 
Because these are something that is very important for us to understand. And maybe what I need to do is give you uh, uh, some examples of the perfect will of God as opposed to the God's permissive will. So here's, here we go. I've got three quick examples for you. The first one is, if we remember in the Old Testament when the Jews were in, the, in Egypt and they were slaves. And God said, I want to call you out into the desert to worship me. I didn't, he didn't say he wanted to call them out in order that they might not be under overlords. No, he wanted to call them out because it said that he wanted to be their God and he wanted them to be his people. God, people, God, people. That's the way he wanted it. But later on, it says in uh, Samuel, I believe, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6, it says, you know what? They came to God and said, you know what? This God thing is kind of cool, but can we have a king instead? That was never God's plan. And in a sense, they had problems once they moved over to having a king. But because God allowed them to have what they want, because we have free will, he allowed them to move over to the whole thing of having a king. It took them years to get to a good king. In fact, that good king was David. It was someone who was a man after God's own heart. And David was, in a sense, was like the precursor to Jesus. He was like a model for someone who walked with God. And he wrote all the Psalms that we have in the Scripture. So you can see God's perfect will, and then you can see God's redemptive or permissive will. Let me give you another example. Remember when Adam and Eve, remember the days when Adam and Eve were walking around in the garden? <laughs> and, he was, and, and, and God's plan was that they would walk together in purity and in holiness and in obedience. And he told them this. He said, if you eat of the tree, eat anything you want, anything you want. You can have steak, you can have apples, you can have McDonald's, you can have anything you want, but you cannot eat from this one tree. If you do, you're going to die. Dead. Dodo. Gone. Dead. That's it. And yet they did. They ate it. And so later on in Romans 3, 23, verse 20 and 24, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace, that's permissive will, His grace through the redemption that, that came by Jesus Christ or by Christ Jesus. So you can see the perfect will was if you eat that tree, you're dead. You're gone, right? But somehow God makes a way through Jesus for them to live. Wait a second, you said dead one minute and now you're saying live another minute. That's because they switched over from God's perfect will to God's permissive will. Let me just do a quick caveat here before we move on. The only way you can access God's permissive will is through repentance. You see, Jesus was the way to God's permissive will. Jesus was a redemption. It's only through Jesus, it's only through repentance that you can get into the permissive will of God, which allows you to access the benefits of God's perfect will. You follow me so far? Lots of P's, lots of perfects and permissions, lots of confusion. But this leads me to this last one, which is this, that God has given us an order of how marriages or families are meant to be constructed in order for us to have peace and wholeness in our life. He says, leave your parents, cleave to your spouse, and then multiply yourself through kids. That was the model that he gave to Adam and Eve in the beginning. But God's grace is allowed to come to us through repentance when we have mixed that up through blended families. Does Jesus know our blended problems? Does he know what our blended problems are? Well, I would say yes. Why? Because he had a dad that wasn't his dad. You remember when Mary was impregnated through the Holy Spirit and his earthly father, Joseph, found out and he said, wait, you're pregnant already? And it says that Joseph had in mind to quietly divorce Mary. Now, that's rejection of Jesus. That's Jesus being in the womb 
knowing and hearing that his earthly father has decided he doesn't want him. That's a breaking up of family. Even though he didn't follow through with it, there's still a rejection that could have come into Jesus right there. He has experienced what it is for us to go through that brokenness. So I believe that Jesus, even, even when he grew up in the family, he knew that they were all sons and daughters of Joseph, but he really wasn't. So I know that he has experienced that blendedness that he, uh, that he went through that many of us have gone through ourselves. Many of us have to understand this as well, that God has made us blended too, that we're blended in the family of God. In Ephesians 5 and 1.5, it says, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and his pleasure. He has blended us into his family because there was a day when we didn't walk with God as well. So we know this, that God's or Jesus' goal is to get us back to the perfect will of God, but we often have to live in the permissive will of God today through repentance to access that perfect will of God. It's the only way it works in order to have the blessing of God and the fruitfulness of God is if we're trying to access how he originally designed things for us to live. And so today what I've, I've asked Jared to do is to take us to, the, uh, take us to the place of talking about how to make a blended family successful. It's yours. Good morning. So first, let me tell you a little bit of background uh, about uh, my blendness. Uh, my parents uh, are still married. They've been married for over 50 years. Uh, my grandparents uh, have been married for over 72 years. Wow. So I actually do not come from a blended family. However, um, uh, I did end up uh, having a son uh, prior to being married. Then uh, uh, her and I got married. We had a second child. Our, my oldest son, his name is Jaron. Uh, he's uh, almost 18 today. And then we have Kenan. Uh, and uh, when Kenan was 14 months old, uh, my wife decided that she didn't want to be married anymore. And she didn't want to be a mom. And so I was a single dad for five years. And it was hard. The most difficult thing that I've ever experienced in my whole life. I didn't get married to get divorced, but it happened. So one of the things that is really important, though, is that God used that to change me. So five years later, I ended up meeting uh, my wife, Kara, uh, and Kara is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, then Kara and I got married, and uh, we have, we've had two additional sons. Uh, Grayson is now four, and Braylon uh, is just 12 weeks old. So we currently have a blended family. So let's talk about what this process is and what does it look like when it comes to blended families. And I first want to talk about moving away from prior relationships Mark 10, 8 says, and the two will become one flesh. See, God designed one man, one wife. One husband, one wife. That is the plan and the design of God. So what, through divorce, I see that people make one of three decisions coming out of it. And I noticed it at the time when I was going through my divorce. The first was that I see people do is there's a bitterness that can happen where 
They get divorced. That, they, they were harmed by that person. And so they look at all future relationships through the prism of how it is that they were pained. And they become so bitter and they're closed off and nobody else is allowed in. Because if I allow you in, you're going to treat me the same way that that person did. And I'm not going to allow that to happen again. So the rest of their life, there is bitterness and anger that occurs because of something that happened in the past. The second thing that I see happen is what I'm calling baggage. And that is where a relationship ends, whether it's a marriage or whether it's just a relationship. That, mar- that, that relationship ends and immediately jump right into the new relationship and carry all of the baggage, all of the pain, all of the hurt, carry it right into that new relationship. And the process repeats again and again and again. And the third choice or the third decision is what I'm calling rebirth. It's about becoming a different person. See, I was not a Christian in my first marriage. In fact, God used my divorce to bring me to him. I remember feeling so alone. Now, from now, the rest of my life, I'm going to be somebody who is divorced. And I remember literally laying in a fetal position saying, there's got to be something else. God, if you're out there, there's got to be something else. And God used this to bring me close to him. And it was through this that I ended up becoming a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. God sent his son to die on the cross so that we can be reborn. We don't have to be defined by the mistakes of our past because of the redemptive quality of God. God paved the way through sending his son, but we still have a choice. Do we stay bitter? Are we defined by our mistakes? Or do we allow God to change us? I was so engrossed in what you were saying, I totally lost myself now. I want to talk about then quickly going to the second one. So the first one was um, uh, moving away from prior relationships. And the second uh, uh, thing we want to talk about is setting of right expectations. The setting of right expectations. Fair grace, trust, and dreams. What is that about? Fair grace is when you go into a new relationship and don't hold that new relationship to the standards or the crimes or the sins of your past relationship. Because it's not fair to actually hold them to a standard that their past relationship is, is set. And sometimes what can happen is when we go into new relationships, 
we can often be in a position where they say something or do something and it sparks an emotion within you that kind of uh, 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 it puts up your defenses or it fights back against them. But really, it wasn't something that they said or did that has hurt you. It's something that was said or done in past relationships. It can be even something your father said or something your mother said in your past relationship. But if it's from a past marriage and that is your model of what a relationship is in a marriage, then if you have uh, designed yourself to be in this fighting position and always protective when he says this or when she does that, when you go into your next relationship, it's very easy for you to quickly put your fists up because they did something or said something that felt like the past relationship. You follow me so far? And so it's important for us to understand that when you enter a new relationship, there has to be fair grace when you enter in. Trust is is the foundation for this whole thing. We must make a conscious decision to trust when you come from a broken relationship, when you come from broken trust. You have to make a conscious decision to trust. It's not something that's just built into you naturally anymore. And now, naturally, it's distrust that's built inside of you. And that, of course, as Jared had just mentioned, can lead to bitterness. It doesn't come easily though, which is why it's so important to have a season or a time where you're able to change into the person that you need to become. As Jared was talking about, if you go from one relationship and jump into the next relationship too quickly, you're in a place where you're not actually the person who you need to be. You haven't changed to become who you're meant to become. You're not a person who actually has trust within you. Why is this so important? Because it's the foundation for creating new dreams. Your dreams and your goals and your new relationship can't be based on, I'll never let that happen to me ever again. I'll never let someone speak to me that way. I'll never let someone uh, do those things to me ever again. That can't be your goal in life. If that's your goal in life, you're setting yourself up for another broken relationship. You're setting yourself up for failure. The only way that we can actually have successful marriages and successful families is if we have a new vision and a new goal, a new dream from God. And our vision, our, our, our vision for this year for our church was big dreams, dream big. And in order for you to dream big in your marriage, there has to be a foundation of trust that gives you the freedom to hold on to dreams. Not uh, uh, secretly saying, that's your stuff, this is my stuff, Uh, we'll we'll not blend ourselves entirely, let's keep ourselves separately uh, uh, in parts of our lives, let's keep our uh, parts of our lives a little bit separate, just in case this doesn't work out. If that's the way you approach it, you're guaranteed that it is going to fail, that it is going to break down. But honestly, going to that place of trust means that you have to give yourself everything. Not just, I will give myself uh, uh, entirely to this person, but I will give everything that I own and everything that I have to this person as well, which is very difficult. So after Kara and I were married for a couple years, we had the opportunity uh, for Kara to potentially adopt Jaron and Kenan, our older two. It was a long process, there were attorneys involved, there was all kinds of stuff that had to occur. And one of the things is that the kids had to be accepting of it. So after going through this whole process, we ended up sitting down with them and we met with them. And there was a moment of trust that I had to give up. There was a moment of control that said either I'm in this 100% or I'm not. So we sat down with the kids and and said, listen, we know that it's hard that your mom abandoned you. 
Let me tell you something. As your father, I love you and I care for you more than anything. But understand that I didn't get to pick you. I didn't get to choose you. Now, don't get me wrong. I meant to have children. But it's not like I went to the hospital and said, okay, there's 10 of them. That one looks good over there. I think I'll grab that one. Right? I didn't get to choose. But here's the interesting thing about this with Kara and Jaron and Kenan. It's not only did Kara choose to marry me, but Kara chose to be the mom to Jaron, chose to be the mom to Kenan. So we're there, we're uh, set to have the, uh, the adoption, and it's, it's very, uh, very private. It's, um, nobody else can be in the courtroom. And, and uh, so our attorney came out, and he, and he came out, and he said, hey, listen, we've got a problem. I don't, know, I don't think that we're going to be able to do the adoption today. And I said, well, why? Like, what, what's going on? And he said, well, the judge is your neighbor, and it's supposed to be private. And I'm like... That's it? That's awesome that it's my neighbor. Like, I want to shout this from the rooftops. Like, I don't care that it's... So it ended up going through. So in the room, they have to make sure that everybody understands what it is that's happening. And so the judge says to me, says, you understand that from now on, Kara is Jaron and Kenan's mom. That if something happens in the future that she has equal rights to the children as you do, that you could lose custody of your children to Kara. I said, I understand. And to Kara, she said, you understand that we are changing the birth certificate that says that you are the birth mother. For the rest of your life, these are your children. She said, yes. She said, the judge said to the boys, you, you understand what's happening today? And they said, yes. And she said, well, what is that? And Kenan said, <clears throat> and Kenan says, today, my mom is adopting me. When we were married, Peter was the officiant of the wedding. One of the things that he talked about really hit so hard. He told a story about burning the ships. That when you go into something like this, when you go into marriage, you go in 100%. And it stuck, and I had to trust, not necessarily in Kara, but what I had to trust in is God. So let's look at the sharing and parenting of non-biological kids. See, God has an order in relationships. Christ first, right? We're supposed to have a relationship with Christ first. And then we have a relationship with husband and wife. And then we have the relationship with kids. 
So I actually didn't necessarily have a great example of this. In, in my family, actually, the kids came first. Like it was the kids that were actually the most important thing. And, and actually, after I became a Christian, I realized that, wait a minute, that's not the example that, that, that the Bible talks about. It's not what Christ talks about. It's actually Christ first, husband and wife next, and then the kids well, that's the order that things happen, right? We're supposed to be believers first, and then we meet our spouse, and then we have kids, right? But that's not what I did. I had kids first, and then I met Christ, and then I got married. So how do you turn that around? How do you make your wife right below Christ when you've known the kids longer, If we look in Ephesians, it talks about the order of family and the role of each family member. And this, this scripture, I know. I, like, I, you know. I know this one. Wives, submit to your husbands. I've heard that one a bunch, and I may have said it once or twice. <laughs> and then right next to that, right after, husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. And then fathers, don't exasperate your children. Now, I, I looked up at the, the Greek on this, and fathers in, in, uh, in this scenario, in many times throughout the Bible, was actually used as grouping both parents. So parents, don't exasperate your children. It talks about after that, train them in the ways of the Lord. So I've read this a number of times but what I didn't read is the scripture right, be right before it. I was really focused on wives, you need to submit to your husband. But actually, if you look at the one right before that, it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Every single one of these talks about Christ being in the center. I knew that I wanted better for my kids. I knew that I wanted better for my life, but I didn't know how to do it. But Christ in me made me a new creation. The truth is, is that if I would have met Kara right after my divorce, she would not have been interested in me in one bit. Because I was not the man that God wanted me to be. It is Christ's redemption quality that changed me into the husband and father that I am today. Now, I, I got to tell you something. When, when they asked me to do this, when Peter texted me and asked me to do this, I was very reluctant because this is hard. And we're like... This sounds really good up here, and, and you, you expect that when the pastor's up here talking that, you know, they know this, right, and they got it, and so we're supposed to learn from them, and I got to tell you, I don't got it. It's hard. It is difficult. It is painful. It is daily trying to look towards Christ to redeem what has happened in the past. So let's look at some practical stuff. Let's look at parenting 
in our own house. There's a lie that says that my spouse can't love my kids like I do. Well, we speak against that in the name of Jesus. The enemy is looking for areas to come in between our family relationship. Does God not love us because we're not his biological kids? God looks at us through the prism of Jesus and looks as if, as if we are him, as if we are perfect. So as parents, we have to look at our children through the prism of Jesus. Second is, is that words matter. My kids versus your kids versus our kids versus you need to take care of your son over there. Words matter. The power of life and death is in the tongue. What we say and how we say it matters. Third thing is, is being on the same page even when we're not. You know, we're raised in different houses. We have different parents. Kara, Kara came from a, from a blended family. Her mom left when she was young. My parenting style is this. Hers is this. But we have to have a united front when we meet with the kids. So there's many times where Kara and I have to go off to the room, and we have to discuss, and we have to talk. And when we come out, we agree even if we don't. So what about parenting when it's in their house? Many situations, kids go to mom's house this time and dad's house this time and grandma's house over here and there's one week on and one week off and how do you, how do you handle that? How do you handle it when you point to Christ in your home but there's a bunch of time where they're not? So one, never communicate through your kids. We have a responsibility to, have, to be adults and have relationship with people that we don't want to have a relationship with, right? We should never communicate through the kids. And words matter. I would never talk bad about Jaron and Kenan's biological mom. Somebody talks bad about my mom, we are throwing down. You do not talk bad about my mother, including my father. If my dad says something bad about my mom, that is not okay. Words matter. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. If we look through history, we look through Bible, how many times does the hand of God move because of the fervent prayer of the people that love God? Prayer matters. And don't underestimate God's righteousness working through you versus the enemy. See, when we look at what Jesus talked about in the Bible, when he referred to God and the relationship between him and God, it was a father, right? So it's a parent relationship. 
when we look at how Jesus referred to us, he talked to, and the church, he talked about the bride relationship. So if we look at the example that the Bible talks about about God, it's the father-child, and it's the husband-wife. So what does the enemy do? The enemy tries to come in between those relationships in order to stop the relationship between you and the father. He uses the arguments. He uses the, it's your fault that your parents got a divorce. He tries to come in between the relationship of parent-child, and he tries to come in between the relationship of husband and wife because those are the two greatest examples that we have of the relationship between us and God. And if he can get in between those, then he can get in between the relationship of you and God. Do not allow the enemy to put a foothold where God already sent his son to die for. It is settled. Now listen, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've been divorced. I don't know if you've been from a house where your parents were. I don't know where you are. But here's what I know. Is that God sent his son to die on the cross so that all of that is washed away. It is not your fault that your parents got a divorce. Of course we learn how to parent from our parents who are not perfect. We're not going to be perfect. But God is. So every day, we look at the redemptive quality of Christ. And we take it to the cross and we say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do it on my own. But I look to you, Lord, for your grace.